0: Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts L John Go and Dave Bossert.
1: Welcome to the audio version of the Backside of Water Skull Rock Podcast. If this is your first time checking out the show, welcome. Each week we talk to all things Disney, pop culture with never before heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, and much, much more. I'm your co-host, musician, and longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, also pop culturist, Aljon Go. You can email me, aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com.
0: And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm an artist, filmmaker, author, and all-around troublemaker. And welcome (laughs) to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. And you can like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at dave at
1: com. Al John, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm trying to keep all my hands, feet, arms, and legs inside the ride vehicle at all times. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like these various spiels, you know, from Jungle Cruise, yeah. just to celebrate the Jungle Cruise movie being unleashed into the uh, masses uh, this weekend. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I know you saw it. We're going to get into it. I know. But uh, I hope you had a good week, Dave.
0: Yeah, I did. It was, uh, it was hot as blazers out here, uh, out here in Los Angeles. And, uh, and before we do anything else, you know what? I want to give a shout out to a friend of ours. Yeah. I want to, I want to congratulate Tammy Tucky, uh, who does the Tierra show podcast because they're doing a 10th anniversary show this week. And I I think, you know, congratulations to her. She's been doing it for 10 years and she's, I've been on her show a couple of times and she's absolutely fantastic and she has great guests on her podcast. So Tammy Tucky and the Tierra
1: Show, congratulations on your 10th anniversary. Yeah, congratulations. It is a feat. I remember... When Sorcerer Radio celebrated their 10th anniversary and our, our, our podcast turning 10, you know, back when Kristen and I were hosting, you know, some radio shows on there and we still are, by the way, but um, it's quite a feat. I mean, talk about intestinal fortitude to keep going for 10 years, man. That's a long time.
0: Hey, listen! I'm I'm thrilled that we're fast approaching our one year anniversary.
1: Oh, no kidding! I know, right? I, know. I remember so just a few months away. It's crazy. I, I know. It's a wonderful feeling, and thank you all for joining us on this uh, big roller coaster ride of a show. Um, from day one, we do appreciate it, and it just keeps on growing every every day. So I can't wait to uh, celebrate that year anniversary, that milestone. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, Dave. We've got some news and pop culture. Before we go into that, we do have a guest waiting in the green room.
0: We do. We have uh, the great animator, cartoonist, storyboard artist, Bob Camp. Uh, And most of our guests will probably know him from the Ren and Stimpy show, but he's done a whole bunch more stuff than that. And he's in the green room right now sketching the, uh, the little guys that are running around our snack table.
1: Awesome. (laughs) Hey, and don't forget, folks, please watch your head when you leave the boat. And if you can't watch your head, then watch your mouth, because this is a family show. Jungle Cruise jokes.
2: Skull Rock Podcast, (laughs) ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline
1: news. I can't help myself. I'm going to be full of Jungle Cruise puns, Dave. I know. And and you know, The Rock uh, rock has a whole bunch of terrible ones at the beginning of the movie. They're so bad, they're funny. Well, of course, it has to be. It has to be. So speaking of that, Dave, Jungle Cruise was just released to the masses. You were able to go out and see the film. And uh, I first wanted to give you the platform to give your thoughts about the film, your review, if you will.
0: Sure, absolutely. You know, Nancy and I went to see the film uh, yesterday. We saw it in IMAX. Uh and uh, you know, look, I had high expectations for this movie going in. And I think it's an okay movie. It's just not a great movie, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I posted on Facebook yesterday when we got home. Uh, you know, it borrows from the African Queen and, you know, the look, the the original ride was inspired by the African Queen to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, you know, borrows from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Romancing the stuff. Star- own. And even somebody said uh, on my Facebook post, how about the mummy? You know, sure. and, uh, and and certainly uh, there are elements in there. Uh, but I have to say, you know, Dwayne Johnson and em- Emily Blunt, they're terrific together. Yeah. They really are. They got a great screen chemistry uh, and uh, and and they're great in, in delivering their lines. It's just, you know, the story is blah. You know what I mean? Uh, Is it, kind of how I, f- I felt about it. The interesting thing that I noted, by the way, was that on the the one sheet that I'm standing in front of on my Facebook post, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I I made note of the fact that it really looks like Drew Struzan's Raiders of the Lost Ark poster, you know, in styling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think that was uh, obviously, uh, um, you know, uh, a coincidence. It was. It was certainly they're trying to portray this as a franchise uh, in the in the lines of Indiana Jones or you know, Pirates
1: of the Caribbean kind of thing. Well, let, let's uh, let's back up the truck for a second. Drew Struzan, yeah. for those of the uninitiated, is one of the, if not the, most legendary movie and album. Artist of all time, uh, the original uh, Sky, uh, Star Wars uh, six movies were done by him. The movie poster, um, Back to the Future, The Goonies, Raiders of the Lost Art. If there was a film uh, in the late seventies and eighties, um, Drew Struzen was and is the man who made those portraits happen. And uh, there's many that have come afterwards that kind of adapted his his type of style. You know, his kind of you know real life style, but. Um, yeah, you're right. It does evoke that Drew Struzan esque, you know, style, and I think that you're right. They wanted to kind of place this in that kind of pantheon of of noteworthy film franchises, but um, it's it's too bad. Yeah, it and, fell a little short. And, and,
0: and, and you know, I'd add on to that. I, I think Drew Struzan, who's still alive, by the way. Yes. Uh, I think he's retired now. Yep. But you know, he is. Uh, I I would put him in in the category of the great. 20th century illustrators, commercial illustrators. I mean, to me, he's, he's in the same league as Norman Rockwell and J.D. Decker, and, you know, other folks uh, like that. Um, you know, uh, McClellan Barclay is another one from the early 20th century. You know, these are, these are artists that could do incredible illustrations of people. Uh, and
1: really capture the essence of those individuals. The Drew Struzan compendiums of art, uh, coffee table books are some of my, the the ones that I have on my wish list every Christmas. And I'm hoping that my in-laws uh, decide to get me, because they always get me a book for, for Christmas that I love. Mm. And I'm hoping that that's going to show up one day, uh, you know, on my, on my, uh, my Christmas list. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that First of all, you know the art is is still pretty cool, and I like the the overall look of the film. And I personally, I've only seen uh, the media snippets because I've I've you know we're we're media, so we get a little bit of the film thing. But I didn't get a full screener. Uh, eventually, i I'd, lo- I'd love to see it, um, you know, with the wifey and the kids. But um, you
0: know? Yeah. You know what? Look, I, 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 it was a, it was a great summer movie. It was an adventure film. It had some flat spots in, in, in the film, which was unfortunate. Uh, but I have to say, you know, the action scenes are really terrific. Uh, the, the visual effects, I mean, you've got uh, industrial light and magic ILM, uh, did a bunch of the effects, but also Weta down in New Zealand did a bunch of the effects plus a whole bunch of smaller, uh, visual effects houses, because when we have these kinds of films you have a ton of visual effects houses that are working on them to try and meet the deadline but um you know that that stuff all looks fantastic uh the costuming i thought was really good and james newton howard's score is really a beautiful score for this movie it really is i i have to say you know, it, it, just for the score, go to the movies and see it in a good theater with a great sound system because it, it's really just a magnificent sweeping score and, and it's beautifully supportive of the entire film. It, it, it doesn't overwhelm uh, where, it, you know, uh, it doesn't overwhelm the characters when they're acting, but it, it's just very, it, it's very beautiful to listen
1: to. I have the soundtrack and I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. And uh, I am i don't know if I told you this, but I'm working with the guys in Metallica with, with some new projects for the company, my company. Uh-huh. And to hear them do Nothing Else Matters in that cinematic way, it almost sounds very dulcimer, you know, string, you know, uh, very intimate uh, thing. And then all of a sudden swells up into a, a really big thing. I think uh, I know that the director is a big fan of Metallica. And it's kind of interesting to hear that because I wasn't expecting it, you know um so i'm looking forward to hearing that in context with the film of course jungle cruise out right now 63 percent on rotten tomatoes so not not a bad score but um you know i i think i appreciate your review of the film and box office returns wise dave i know you've got some numbers here
0: yeah you know it did uh, 61.8 million uh globally uh as of uh sunday And uh, it did an additional 30 million on Disney Plus. And, uh, you know, again, I think I said this in a previous uh, show. uh, I applaud Disney for being transparent on their Disney Plus uh, streaming numbers and actually putting those out with the grosses uh, from the theater. So, uh, you know, it's um, hey, it's uh, it's. It's another. It's, it's a summertime movie, it, you know, going with low expectations and you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: I, I like the fan service from what I understand. There's a lot of fan service involved there. They're integrating the Jungle Cruise film with the stuff in the parks, with the, the you know, the sea organization of adventurers and and all that different stuff that they're interweaving throughout the Disney the, the quote unquote Disney cinematic universe. I'm using air quotes here. Um, <laughs> just kind of building a upon that, you know, and hopefully they'll build on this haunted mansion and everything else that they're weaving into, to all this for, for an interesting story. But I think that's just, you know, part of the fun that all of us have just trying to see where they're going to integrate that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. And, you
0: know, I was going to say to that point, uh, certainly at the beginning of the movie, uh, Dwayne Johnson is piloting his jungle cruise boat uh, with a group of tourists uh, that, you know, he's doing, uh, he's certainly tipping his hat to the, uh, um, um, the actual attraction at Disneyland and and Disney World, uh, he is tipping his hat. He's doing some corny, funny, you know, I, I should say corny and flat jokes, uh, like you would get from uh, Alligator Al or some of the folks that are uh, doing
1: the uh, the boat ride uh, at the parks. Yeah, I'm wearing my Trader Sam shirt right now, so I'm sure there's some of that. Um, going there, on there you there. go. Yep. So. Um, well, moving from Jungle Cruise to yet another uh, Disney film, we're here in the world of Marvel. It was revealed earlier this week that uh, the camp of Scarlett Johansson filed a lawsuit alleging that the studio breached contract when it released Black Widow simultaneously in theaters and on Disney Plus, a move that she claims potentially cost her as much as $50 million in response he sent me this dave this is from the hollywood reporter in response a disney spokesperson said the lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific prolonged global effects of covid uh, pandemic disney has fully complied with miss johnson's contract furthermore the release of black widow on disney plus with premier access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation for the 20 million dollars that she's received to date um boy you would would think yeah this this is messy just
0: this blew up in town i have to tell you out here in hollywood these kinds of lawsuits they don't normally go public
1: no no and And, that was my first response when you sent me this i said yeah in a different era this not this would not have been going this would not have gone public because scarlet should be treated as a queen first of all because of her involvement in the in the phase one of the the marvel cinematic universe everybody that laid the groundwork for the success of marvel as it stands today including kevin feige and stan lee and all those people like these actors and actresses all belong there they helped create this franchise that we love this tenfold franchise and then this is what happens someone drops the ball and and all of a sudden everything just you know all the dirty laundry gets uh, strewn out there for the whole globe to see
0: well, not only not only was this uh, really a head turner in, in uh, Los Angeles uh, within the industry, but uh, you know, for uh, women in film and Times Up uh, to come out with a statement, um, uh, really uh, slapping Disney for their response to to uh, the uh, lawsuit, and also the the uh, co chair of CAA. Um, uh, came out uh, who represents uh, Scarlett Johansson and many other major stars in town. (laughs) He came out with, with, you know, just totally against Disney and their response to this. I mean, this has become a public brawl uh, in a matter of a couple of days. And, you know, I have to say, this is this is a this is taking away from the Disney brand. This, this is a withdrawal from the Disney brand. This is not adding to the Disney brand, and that's really a shame uh, that that this kind of thing would go public like this. Because this absolutely should have been kept uh,
1: behind closed doors and worked out privately. Yeah, just make Scarlett happy, please. Just make her yeah. happy. You know, just figure out some way. So, And then whatever whatever person there in admin there at Marvel and Disney Studios just needs to make sure that they get in front of this stuff um, (laughs) well in advance because, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is just, it's just a black stain on everything that they've created. And Disney is a very, you know, obviously a very progressive company. And I think they would Uh, their treatment of women overall and the fact that they have strong women characters and this type of stuff, that goes against everything that they're trying to kind of create there in Hollywood.
3: Well, this
0: this certainly diminishes uh, those efforts, that's for sure. And and I have to tell you, they, you know, uh, whoever, whoever crafted that statement from Disney uh really should have should be shown the door because no, no i mean that was not a, a very nice statement to make in response to it. Oh. it it was really that 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 was a knee-jerk reaction so somebody should have just said wait a second but you know it, it, this is par for the course uh and, and this is part of a pattern uh at, at disney over the years of um you know taking advantage of, of talent and trying to get away with things um, uh, and screwing over talent. I mean, we've 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 discussed a number of stories over the year, uh, over this past year, with um, you know uh, royalties not being paid to authors for the Star Wars books, and you know those kinds of things. It's damaging. I, I think it's damaging to Disney in the eyes of the creative community, the 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 content creators. So anyway, yep. well, and uh, the fans,
1: and the fans. the, the more you. The more you, you hurt their beloved, you know, actors, actresses, creative people, the, the people that are storytellers, um, the more it just hurts the, the you know, where the brand sits in the eyes and in the minds of, in the hearts of the people that support the brand. Um yeah it's, yeah, it's it's very it, it's it's depressing, but um, it,
0: it is too bad. But moving on. Yep. absolutely. Um, I, I sent you this. Uh, the Walt Disney Company will require that all of their employees be vaccinated, um, you know, before they go back to work. And I think that more and more companies are coming forward and saying, you know what, you're going to you want to work for us. You want to come back into the office. You want to go back into the parks and t- you know, take up your job get vaccinated and, and, you know, the way this Delta variant is, is spreading and no doubt there's going to be other variants of this, uh, uh, this virus. Uh, it, it really is, uh, time that people stop screwing around and just get the vaccine. Trust the science. Just do this. And so, you know, for me, I applaud Disney for for requiring this of their employees. Along with, you know, Google came out and said it, and a lot of other companies are starting to come out and say they want their employees vaccinated, uh, which which I think is great, you know. And uh, and you know, Al John. The people that aren't getting vaccinated, who are getting sick and getting in, and being put in the hospital, that's on them. Yep. It really is. That is totally on them. I At this point, there's something here that will prevent you either from getting the uh, the virus or if you do get it and you're vaccinated, it, the symptoms are not as
1: bad. You're not going to go in the hospital and you're not going to die probably. Right. There are this is if, if this is a matter of choice then you, you, we respect the choice, but you have to kind of understand that there are repercussions for that choice. So, mm-hmm. you know, you either protect yourself or you don't, you know, and that's just the the way it is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad whenever, whenever they say Al John get the booster, I'm definitely going to go out and get a booster. That, oh, that's for t- sure. T-
0: tell me about it. I'm, I'm all set. I'm ready. I, I'll be a Guinea pig for the booster. Absolutely. You know? I, I mean, I really will be. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> just
1: a, once again, um, and you know, we'll we'll treat this as something like the flu and and uh and um you know people it's amazing to me how people are getting you know uh vaccinated for other things like polio you know that's a that's a crazy thing but anyway that's neither here nor there um disney has the right because they are their company they they can create the rules and if you want to abide by that i think uh, you should you know absolutely so, um, absolutely so Disney is also with more Disney restarts accelerator for eight new technos. So it looks like they, once again, are uh, doing some really cool things with technology. Yeah,
0: I think this is great. This was a great program they started years ago. Uh, they're investing in uh, tech companies, these startups that are involved in augmented reality, virtual reality and robotics. Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, obviously gaming, um, uh, storytelling in different ways, as well as um You know, uh, merchandise, toys, uh, you know, robotic toys. I mean, you know, who who doesn't love that kind of stuff? Uh, So I think that's terrific. So, you know, they're making some strides and making some good investments uh, on some of these startups. uh, And who knows what the future is going to be with all of that kind of augmented reality and virtual reality and how that'll be applied to theme park
1: attractions, restaurants, uh, and other types of experiences. I love it. You know, once again, uh, this program, Disney Accelerator is a three-month program connecting techno companies with mentors from the Disney executive rank. So it's a mentorship thing. And uh, one of the, I guess, big, uh, I guess, companies that kind of came out of this was Sphero, which were robots based on the Star Wars character like BB-8. And of course, they've applied that technology in their, I guess, their robots in the park uh, and stuff that people can take home. So that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so like much like uh Jay uh what was it, Emily Blunt the the year of Emily Blunt with her movies that are coming out Quiet Place 2 and of course Jungle Cruise JK Simmons is making moves as well JK is uh, great uh, in his role for uh, uh what was it uh in Spider-Man as Jay Jonah Jameson he's just amazing and then you sent me this note that he's going to be in talks to return to the Batman universe as Commissioner Gordon uh which I think he's just a great actor anyway
0: so he's not only a great actor he's perfect for that role absolutely i mean he really is he's
1: he's just got the great disposition to be a commissioner gordon exactly so uh commissioner gordon in batgirl warner brothers feature for hbo max that is being cast right now this is not the tv show on the wb but the but a new project which is going to be great so congratulations jk and we look forward to seeing you in the upcoming spider-man i hope that'll be really cool to see uh, another reboot that's happening is Paramount. Um, I was a big fan of The Saint growing up. I, I was too. I yeah. and,
0: and, and you know, it still plays in reruns. You can still find it, you know, and I, I, I always enjoyed it. It was Roger Moore before he became James Bond.
1: Exactly. And my dad was a huge James Bond and Roger Moore fan, of course. So I got into it. And then I actually liked the the redo with Val Kilmer that they did something sometime in the nineties or something like that. Yeah. Um, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't bad. My wife and I love that movie. And now it looks like they have got a, a new star. Was it, uh, let me, I hope I don't butcher his name. Rijon page. I, Sounds, said, good. Right. Sounds good. Sounds to good me. to me. A breakout actor <laughs> from uh, Netflix's Bridgeton uh, series has come aboard to star and executive produce in the studio's reboot of The Saint. And the yeah. playwright and uh, actor Kwame Kwe Arma has been brought in to write a new draft of the script for this adventure thriller. It's this is page second project with Paramount following, following the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons, which I am super stoked about. Um, so, yeah, it looks like they're moving forward with that. Um I'm
0: just I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, yeah, I really am. I I always loved the concept, and I, and it's nice that they're refreshing it and updating it. And uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be really cool. Uh, I I'm trying to think if there's any other notes, and I think that just wraps up our news for this week, Dave. It does.
0: It's time for us to uh, to drag our friend Bob Camp out <laughs> of the uh,
1: green room, kicking and screaming with a Pringles can in tow. Here we go.
3: Happy, happy, joy, joy, 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 happy, 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 happy,
2: joy, joy, joy. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time.
0: Uh, Al John, as promised, we have another fantastic guest here on the Skull Rock Podcast. We have Bob Camp, an animator, writer, cartoonist, comic book artist, storyboard artist, director, producer. Uh, I mean, he's been nominated for two Emmys. He's been nominated for a Cable Ace Award and Annie Award. And of course, his work on Ren and Stimpy is unforgettable the ren and simpy show bob welcome to the skull rock podcast thanks that's our
2: studio audience applauding yeah. you that's great wow it's deafening hey nice <laughs> to see you dave
0: bob it's great seeing you uh and and we really appreciate you taking some time i know you're busy because you're slam
2: doing a lot of storyboarding aren't you no actually well Uh, Kind of. I'm uh, right now I'm a storyboard supervisor on the new Camp Coral series.
0: Awesome. Nice. And, you know, it's amazing when I was looking over what you've worked on. It it really is like these are shows that define a generation. I mean, aside from the Ren and Stimpy show, I mean, the Mighty Mouse New Adventures with Ralph Bakshi. No, no,
2: didn't work on it.
0: Didn't I, work on I, it. I, it has you listed here as my, no. as mighty mouse. you you didn't no. work on that at
2: all. huh? No, I, I tried to get a job on, on that. And, uh, if you have time, it's a great Ralph Bakshi story. Yeah, let's you hear that, it. I you <laughs> know, Ralph, Bakshi <laughs> Sto- Ra- Ralph Bakshi stories are just off the charts. I, I know, I know Ralph Bakshi stories. You can't tell in mixed public. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, But, um, but I love Ralph. I, and I'm glad he's still around. And, and, uh, I think we all owe Ralph a lot, you know, uh, well, think, well, you know, so 50, fifty bucks. He,
0: he, he, no. <laughs> yeah, but 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 you know, something he did he did a lot of groundbreaking shows back in the seventies and eighties sure. with 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 not only Fritz the Cat and Heavy Traffic, but mm-hmm. American Pop and the the first Lord of the Rings attempt uh, on, yeah. on a feature yeah. film. I mean, you know, he he did he did some some pretty amazing work.
2: He 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 made the connection between underground comics and and mainstream animation. He was yeah. the, the guy that did that yeah. Well, so uh, the second season of Mighty Mouse, uh, uh, John has left the show, and Ralph was was directing it all.
0: And, and when uh, you say John, it's John Chris Vellucci. Oh, is
2: it that's that's his last name? Up is, is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. John Kay. We like to say, we don't like to say it, but John Kay. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) uh, so I showed up there to, uh, get a job. Yeah. I came, came with my portfolio tucked under my arm ready to get a job and, uh, uh, had a meeting with Ralph and he, he just very broad and Hey kid, you're going to be, you're going to be a big director. You're going to start in two weeks. You're going to be here working and you're going to direct, you're going to do great. We're going to make some great cartoons. Can't wait two weeks. You come back in two weeks, you're going to start the back. You know? And uh, so I left like, so two weeks later, I show up, you know, ready to work. And I walk in and, and I knew most of the people that were working there. And they were all like sitting at their desks, looking at me like this, like uh, the corner of their eye, like, oh, hi, Bob. What, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, you didn't know today's my, my first day. I start today. And they're like, oh, okay. Good luck with that. You know, so I, I'm standing in the hall just waiting and I see Ralph's door open and he leans out and he looks at me and he says, hey, Tom, Tom, who is this? It's some guy hanging out out here. Show him out. And he goes in and shuts his door. And that was it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you never started on it. it it's no. funny, you know, your bio lists, uh, lists you uh, uh, being involved with it.
2: I didn't. That's
0: that's somebody. Yeah, some, somebody else messing around. But well, but uh, you know. But aside from that one though, Tiny Tunes, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I uh, mean, uh,
2: okay, stop right there. Okay. Yes. Okay. Go. So <laughs> I I I can't believe that I'm credited with that because between when we did the pilot of Ren and Stimpy and we started the series, I had no work. I was desperate, and somebody said, "Hey, you want to pick up a Tomatoes board?" So I did a board. And it was awful and it was a terrible script. And, and I hope I'm not hurting anyone's feeling by saying this, but I'm ashamed of it. And, <laughs> and, and I never told anybody that I did it, but apparently it's out. But yeah. Well,
0: you know something, uh, Bob, When when you say you're ashamed, I think everybody in the animation and cartoon world is ashamed of something that they worked on at one time sure. or another.
2: Sure, sure. <laughs> It's all, it's all part of the the wonderful world of being a crazy cartoonist. That, that's
0: really it. But how, yeah. how did you, let, let's step back for a second. How did you, how did you start? Where, where did you, you know, what were you doing in high school? Where did you go to college and what was well, your training?
2: Uh, I have a lot. I think a lot of cartoonists started this way. I started out doing caricatures at Six Flags, uh, Tom Richmond started out. Like
0: which one, which six flags,
2: uh, Texas, the original one. Okay. Yeah. And that was, I did caricatures there. Uh, did them at another, uh, theme park right next to six flags, which isn't there anymore. It's called sea world or seven Sea something. Seven C seven C's is what it was called. And, uh, I did caricatures there and they served alcohol. So that was a fun place to work. Um, <laughs> and, uh, then after that, I, I traveled a lot doing, uh, caricatures at and portraits at rodeos and fairs all over the country in Canada, uh, like that for a while, uh, I had a VW bus that I, that I sort of lived in with my dog and me and my friend Vincent Waller, who you may or may not know, you know, Vincent, don't you, Dave? I think
0: I may have met him.
2: Well, he, he worked on in and now he's, he and Mark Siccarelli are are in charge of uh, everything SpongeBob. He's, he's, I, I actually work for him now, but. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but we we would travel around uh, the country doing caricatures and portraits and things like that uh, in, the, in a VW bus that would go 55 miles an hour, and not a not a bit faster. <laughs> I,
0: I had one myself. There's a lot yeah. of people with their arms sticking out, flipping the bird at you as they're trying to speed past you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right.
2: So then after that, I I um I went to ended up in uh am Provincetown Massachusetts on Cape Cod doing caricatures there I was actually doing portraits at that point and I met Gary Hallgren who if you're a fan of underground comics you'll know from the Air Pirate Funnies which were the Disney-based underground comics that caused a big stir and nearly got him thrown in jail you know with Bobby Bund <laughs> and Sherry Flanagan and Dan O'Neill all those great guys um he we became instant friends and he said you know you could, you could work at Marvel comics. I can hook you up with Larry Hama. We're, we're in a band together. And if you, if you know, Larry Hama, uh, he, he's, you know, the guy who put GI Joe on the map and he's a great writer and my mentor, Gary and, and Larry are both my mentors. So I ended up going to New York city and, uh, sleeping in a chair with my dog in my lap in Gary's studio and uh, doing movie parodies for Crazy Magazine for Larry Haman. that's how I got my start. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, then uh, Crazy went uh, full though and disappeared. So next thing I know, I'm working in the bullpen doing art corrections on the entire Marvel line.
3: Wow.
2: <clears throat> you, may, you may have heard of Romita's Raiders, right? Which is mm. John Romita's team of guys that did all the art corrections and all the books. Before that, it was me. And I, I, I had to... Uh, do seamless art corrections on comic book pages, no matter who they were drawn by. Wow! So you know, I get a Herb Trimpe page, I draw like Herb Trimpe. I get you know uh, a John Byrne page, I draw like John Byrne. If I get you know a uh, uh, John Buscema thing to fix, draw like John Buscema. So I was working in the bullpen, and hanging out with uh, you know Vinny Coletta, Frank Giacoya, uh a lot of a lot of great old marble guys that were still around, still working, mm. you know, uh, and working for Larry Hama, which was like going to school. You know, if you know Larry, he he um studied uh with uh Bernie Krigstein in high school. If you know comics, Bernie Krigstein, great artist. Uh he was Larry, he was uh, um, a um uh Wally Woods assistant mm. and he worked for uh Neil Adams for years. So he's he's got you know great background and stuff in comics and and all that stuff. So uh
0: Yeah. You said school. Uh, Did you, did you ever have any formal uh, training or were you completely self-taught with working with all these people?
2: I'm pretty self-taught, but uh, I did take, I went to university of Texas at Arlington for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started out studying art, which I pretty quickly just walked away from because I was, I was painting in a painting class with a, with a model and had my canvas and, messing around with a brush, trying to get an effect. And the teacher came by and I said, can you do me a favor? I really think I need some help with my technique here because I don't feel like I'm getting what I need out of this. I'm trying to get the light just right. And he looked at at me and says, shit, kid, your technique's better than mine. And he walked away and I just grabbed all my stuff and I walked out of the room and never came back. (laughs) And I switched to film. So I studied film there with uh, a great filmmaker, underground filmmaker named Andy Anderson. He's since passed away but. Uh, I did that. Uh, and then at some point, I hit the road and, and was back doing caricatures and portraits and, uh, you know, went back to uh, went to New York and uh, started working at Marvel. And then I was John Emma's inker for a long time, inking him and inking uh, um, uh, Mike Golden, doing comic book covers and pen ups things like that.
0: And did you... Um, uh, uh, you stayed in New York for a while. When did you make your way out to Los Angeles?
2: That was... April of 88. I think I went to LA, but, uh, I was in New York for all the eighties before that. And, uh, I started in, I guess, uh, 85 or six. Um, one of our roommates, we lived in a big loft on the corner of Warren and West Broadway. It's kind of a famous cartoon loft back in the day. And most of the people living there was like six or seven of us. Vincent Waller lived there with us. And, um, it was like, 24 hour cartoon off people setting up, drawing all night, uh, crazy parties. The, the beastie boys used to crash our parties. Um, we, we got in a fight with them one day and I had to throw them down the stairs and, and, uh, we, we threatened them with this, with a circular saw. It was a lot of fun. Uh, (laughs) it was crazy times. So that was New York. And then, then, so, uh, one of our roommates, a fellow named Jim Meskimen, who's a, he's a well-known actor now and an impressionist. Uh, he was living with us and, and, uh, he, uh, at the time was working at Rankin Bass on, um, uh, Thundercats. Maybe you've heard of that show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he, he decided that he didn't want to do, um, cartooning anymore. He wanted to be an, an actor and a comedian. So he said, Hey, my job's open on thundercats you want it so he hooked me up and then i started working on all the rank and shows like thundercats silver hawks tiger sharks Mini monsters karate cat and a couple of others yeah and that was it and then then in,
0: street frogs sounds street really frogs is one of them. yeah street yeah. frogs sounds really interesting <laughs> street
2: frogs well it was a terrible show but uh it was it was really ahead of its time it was the first time anybody had done any kind of popular uh regular tv version of anything having to do with hip-hop uh and it was you know a bunch of old white guys doing it so uh they they asked me to do character designs for the characters of frogs who were also hip-hop guys and i actually knew hip-hop guys because at the time i was uh sort of involved with doing hip-hop album covers like africa bombada soul sonic force and uh, Things like that. Oh yeah. Uh, new nucleus. And the cat's walking on my keyboard. Watch out! Watch out! Go. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so uh, I drew. I drew some frogs that looked like they looked like you know a huge, They looked more like Ninja Turtles. You know mm-hmm. they were they were sort of cool and and hip and all that, and they had the right kind of clothes and posing and stuff, and uh, uh, they didn't like it. And so they sent them to Paul Coker Jr., the Mad Magazine cartoonist who lived in, like, Ohio somewhere. And, and he had, you know, he, I'm sure he lived in, like, a Shaker Heights or somewhere, like, some, some nice neighborhood. I don't know. But he didn't, <laughs> he didn't really have any kind of cultural uh, connection with what was going on with hip-hop or anything. So he sent back all the drawings, and they all looked like pimps and hoes. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that was just so funny. But uh, so I did that and um, uh, Rankin Bass went belly up. They, 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 they uh, telepictures, uh, Lorimar telepictures merged with somebody else and they just vanished. Uh, so they let us go. So then I picked up work uh, at Deke and uh, Vincent in, out in L.A. Vincent and I jumped in my 66 T-Bird and we drove out to L.A. and started working there. Uh, at Deke on, I was on uh, ALF Tales, which was an ALF animation spinoff for a week before I I, uh, pissed them off good. And I ended up working on, because I just argued with them about what they were doing. I just didn't (laughs) think it made any sense. But uh, after that, I went over and started working on uh, the real Ghostbusters. I
0: was going to say the real Ghostbusters and the new adventures of Beanie and Cecil.
2: Right. So I'm working for Will Minio on The Real Ghostbusters. You know Will, don't you? Everybody you knows. You know, I, I, the
0: name is very familiar. I can't yeah. picture him, though.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a big guy, and he's, he's just a sweetheart, and he re- really draws well. He, he could have had a career as a comic book artist. But, so I worked on that for a while, and then uh, I became friends with Jim Gomez, Mm-hmm. who is, uh is, if you know where in you know who Jim Gomez is. And uh he was working on Beanie and Cecil down the hall for John Kay. And uh he came and said, you know what? Screw this this ghost stuff. Why don't you come work with me and John on Beanie and Cecil? We're doing Bob Clampett cartoons. I was like, all right, let's do that. So I went over and started working on that. And um uh, immediately realized that I stepped into an insane production that was in bad trouble, but nobody gave it. Uh, and, uh, I did my first storyboard, uh, which was a go man, go uh, storyboard, which is a terrific board. I still have it. I don't think, I think two people have ever seen it, but, uh, <laughs> it, it, and I did that. And, um, uh, one, one of the directors, Eddie Fitzgerald, John fired him. So there was a crew that was working completely on their own without any supervision. And these were people who came off a of mighty mouse where it was their mission to make Stuff that pissed people off and, and broke the rules, yeah, right? So um, things just went from bad to worse, and then we were all uh, consequently fired pretty quickly. What, was this uh, the first time you worked with John Kay? Yeah,
0: and, and, and you got on with him fairly well.
2: Oh, we got we got along pretty well, but I mean, we were up until things went real bad during running snippy. We were we were close friends, and I was over at his house constantly. Yeah, but um, and we we I think that. The cartoons that John and I made together were the best of the series, except for some that are other that are just as good or better. But, but there was there was a, a magic that happened when we worked together. Um, but it was all pretty much about John, you know, right, and, right. And, him, and him and his his genius and all that. Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, there's, there's books out about it. If you want to read there's one called uh, Sick Little Monkeys, which is by uh, uh, Thad Komorowski. I don't know. Do you know Thad?
0: I know. I, I know who he is. Yeah.
2: You know who he is. Yeah. yeah. And he, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty close to the truth. And I read it and I learned stuff. I didn't know, but there's, you know, things went bad and we got in a lot of trouble and John got fired and they asked me to finish the shows and
0: I got well, yeah, but you're talking about uh, um, Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but before we get to that, how did Spumco come to be?
2: Oh, okay. So yeah, there's a, there's a gap in there for sure.
0: So yeah. um so you were at Deek. You guys all get fired from Deek. Is that when you form Spumco or no? Well,
2: no. What happened was is uh, I got a call uh, and immediately started working on Tiny Toots. I was one of the first four people they hired on Tiny Toots. And Tiny Toons had the, the greatest young guys working on it. Bruce Timm was there. Jim, Jim Smith was there. Chris Riccardi was there. A, a lot of really terrific uh, cartoonists were there. And uh, I was working on that um, and staying in touch with John, still going and hanging out with John. And he was just sitting at his house because he couldn't get any work. And uh, I got fed up with Tiny Toons, so we decided to start a studio called Spunko. And, uh, Where, where'd the name come from? I made it up.
0: It's just, just the, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it sounds filthy. It sounds dirty.
2: It was either going to be Spumco or Lodeco. <laughs> and we decided Spumco was funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so we, we, uh, we were friends with Jerry Beck, you know, Jerry Beck. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he and Carl Masek were renting an office in the building that Spunko eventually ended up being in.
0: Which is on Melrose, uh, a couple blocks, uh, I think, west of Paramount Studios.
2: That's right. And yeah. uh, there was there was actually, uh, there had been a tunnel from that building, which in back in the 30s was a whorehouse that ran <laughs> underneath that whole block of, of uh, Melrose all the way over to its, uh, what is it? Gower's the cross street there
0: yeah G- Gower, Gower Studios is across uh, from uh, paramount
2: under Gower and up into a, a, a building there on the lot and at lunchtime the the, the filmmakers would uh, get in the tunnel and go over to this place eat lunch and and you know imbibe in the other pleasures there and then go back <laughs> to to work there at paramount I think it was was even, it, was,
0: our, the, was the tunnel still there the door was but it was bricked up Ah. Uh-huh. yeah that's like For secret, sure, huh? that's like secret Hollywood. It is, it is. Uh, that, and it that's was back, awesome.
2: I think it was back when it was RKO.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. So you so, guys formed, you you formed Spumco and you took these offices.
2: We just had, we were sharing one office with Jerry Beck and we didn't even have furniture. We were sitting on the floor drawing in our laps. We did a, uh, somebody wanted us to design a board game called the ugly druggies game or something. It's it's pretty obscure and hard to find. The drawings in it are great. Uh John and Bill Ray and I did the art in it. And it's pretty cool. And uh then um uh we were started talking to Carl Masek who was running Streamline Pictures at the time and he was the guy who brought with Jerry Beck uh, um, Miyazaki's films over, and they oh, yeah. re-recorded uh, My Neighbor Totoro and got it distributed there. Yeah, they
0: they dubbed them all in English.
2: Yeah, that's right. And uh, so um, we were going around pitching show ideas. We we going around Hollywood pitching uh, with not much luck. And then uh, Carl hooked uh, John up with uh, Vanessa coffee. Yeah. who at the time was starting Nicktoons, mm-hmm. and she convinced um, uh, the people at Nickelodeon that they needed to have creator driven cartoons with a creator's vision and mm-hmm. original ideas that weren't basically reason- excuses to sell toys. And, uh, uh mm-hmm. they liked that idea. And so they gave us a shot to do a pilot. And so we did a pilot.
0: And, and, and uh, what was the pilot? Was it Ren and Stimpy? Yeah, it was, it was Big House Blues. So, so how did Ren and Stimpy come about? How did you guys come up with that?
2: Uh, I didn't come up with the characters. There are characters that John and, and Jim Gomez and this other guy named Felix, who I don't know, created. They were just like, you know, a dog and a cat that, that they made up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was it. And the, the only thing we knew when we went into doing the pilot was we knew the basic character dynamic was you know, just a typical, uh, uh, comedy duo dynamic like Laurel and Hardy, where there's a, you know, a stupid one and a mean stupid, right. you know, and, and they have this, this, uh, dynamic that drives every story, no matter what the story is about, like the Stooges, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was it. And, you know, we knew who they were and how they related to each other. And we just, you know, okay, let's put them in jail. That's what we did.
0: Were the Stooges, Were the Stooges, uh, a, a, a big in- inspiration,
2: for, oh, hell yeah.
0: Uh, for for how, how these characters behaved? Absolutely. Sure. I mean, uh, honestly, Stimpy, uh, Stimpy to me always sounded like uh, Larry Fine.
2: Well, the reason for that is, is because that's exactly what we did. <laughs> uh, and Billy West is the only human alive that does a good Larry Fine. Uh, right. Larry's yes. not easy to do. In fact, yeah. Billy can do all five stooges. Like there's there's a video somewhere of him like having all the stooges arguing and, and slapping each other and stuff. That's <laughs> brilliant. He did it in real time. Uh but yeah, that was Larry Feint. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean awesome stuff. Uh and how how did Billy West get involved? I mean, did you guys know him in advance? I mean we
2: knew, we knew him from from uh uh, uh Beanie and Cecil. He did voices on Beanie and Cecil.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's such a, stars. he's such a terrific voice actor. I mean, he
3: just nails it.
2: He's the best and he can, he has a much bigger range than a lot of the other big guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He can do all their voices plus a million more.
0: Yeah. yeah. We should, we should absolutely do. Uh, we should try and well, I'll talk to him with the offline. We should try and get him booked on our show. I'd yeah, love to, sure. I'd love to talk to him, but yeah, uh, so, so you guys do the pilot. What happens?
2: Uh, they showed it at this uh, uh, Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Animation Festival. It got rave reviews and Nickelodeon picked it up.
0: And so they picked you up for how many shows 26, thirteen? <laughs>
2: no, I think the original run was six. So they uh, they
0: ordered six initially.
2: Yeah, and we were we were really late right away. We missed our second air day.
3: Oh jeez.
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's you know just right before just with a note to that right before John got fired he sent a, a memo to the network saying I can no longer be held responsible for budgets or deadlines sorry. <laughs> so when I, when I when I heard that I grabbed a, a big graffiti marker I had, I drew a giant pair of balls on his office door because clearly he had the biggest ones in
0: Hollywood. Wow. 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 You know, uh, it, it, it's funny yeah. because, uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Jim Ballantyne was, mm-hmm. was, was working with you guys. And, mm-hmm. and he, he contacted me, uh, I think halfway into that first season and, mm-hmm. and asked me to come over to, to, to help out on the, on the camera, uh, you know, all the camera and special effects stuff. Well, uh, we were
2: so glad you were there. You, you stole us Disney snow.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: I'm telling.
0: But, yeah, that, that, that's fine. But you know, uh, the, the interesting thing was that, um, I, I have to say uh, of all my experience in the industry, mm-hmm. um, I never saw anybody pitch a board the way John Kay pitched a board.
2: He'd actually throw it across the room and break
0: it. <laughs> I know, but, but in, in all seriousness, I mean, he he was really amazing in in the way he pitched uh, boards. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it was it, it it really was phenomenal to to be able to witness that. Uh, sure. But it, but it was clearly, I mean, the, the 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 show the show was 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 in serious uh, uh, retake hell uh, sure. when I got there.
2: Uh, he 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 wouldn't stop. Uh, um, here's here's one of my favorite stories. So, uh, you know Bob Jake's, right?
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Bob Bob was the animation director on the series, and any of the shows that are really, really, really good and really well animated, check them for a Carbuncle logo because they're one of their shows, probably. But um, um, he called me up and he was really upset, really, really angry at John because John kept making him change a scene in Sven, Sven Hoek. And it was just basically, you know, the well, Ren's going crazy and he's gesturing and his arm comes down and swings to a stop. It's just a settle. And John kept making him reanimate it, making him reanimate, making him reanimate it. And uh, we were already getting threatening letters from the network. We said that the advertisers were all over their ass and, and uh, we, we couldn't miss any more deadlines and, and uh, to ship the show, you know? And so uh, uh, I went into the editor room and John was working on the very scene, like playing with the timing and being a pain. So I said, look, finish this show, turn it in now. Cause we're all going to get fired, you know, just, just turn it in. It's good the way it is. Nobody's going to know the difference. Just let it go. And he threw me out. So I went went into my office and I had uh, shared uh, uh, um, a room with Rich Purcell. Our two chairs were in there. And the whole wall across from uh, where we sat was full of holes because we'd throw knives all day. That was like (laughs) what we do to kill time when we're thinking or whatever. So I'm standing there looking at my desk and I'm so furious. I'm so angry. And there's a pair of scissors in front of me. And I pick him up and I turn around and I throw him just as John opens the door and walks in the room and the scissors stuck in the wall next to his face. He screamed and ran out of the room and told everybody I tried to kill him with a pair of scissors.
0: (laughs) Oh, so my. we had
2: fun. We had fun.
0: No, it, 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 it would you know, I, I have to say it was, it was a really incredible crew uh, of uh artists uh uh working uh not only at Spumco, but then when it became Games Productions and moved over yeah. into uh, into uh on Sunset, I think it was. Was it Games? Was,
2: it was, was it was yeah, yeah, it was on Sunset. It was like the last office building on the left before you hit you know their like
0: homes. yeah exactly it was, it was it was down the road from the Jay ward studios right yeah, yeah um but you know uh what so what led up to uh john k being taken off the show
2: that 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 memo was part of it also uh the the man's best friend episode the george slicker episode was in real trouble. It was uh, way over budget and they, John wouldn't make any of the cuts that the studio was demanding because mm. it was a really scary episode. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, it's very violent. And, and, uh,
0: I remember or, the George, I remember the George liquor character.
2: Yeah. He's, he's well, the thing is Nickelodeon was run by a bunch of women and, yeah. you know, and, uh, uh, Geraldine Laybourne was like a hippie lady. She's like real laid back and didn't mm-hmm. didn't want like abusive, mean men in her cartoons, which made sense. But you know, and they were paying the bills, and so uh, he refused to make any changes on the cartoon. He was hundreds of thousands of dollars over budget, months behind schedule, and he re- was was refusing. He had several episodes that were stuck in production, and mm-hmm. e- every at every step in the production pipeline there were there were uh backed up stuff because we couldn't deliver a show john sent the letter and um then they they called me and said they fired him wow. and they wanted me to take over i said no i gotta talk to john i'm not gonna agree to anything until i talk to John. to talk to him he was he told me he was relieved and he gave me his blessing to do the show and i said okay i promise that i'll make sure that i'll finish all your cartoons and I'll put the best guys on up to 100% character layout. I'll spare no expense just to make those cartoons as good as you would have made. You know, and I did that. And uh, he, he proceeded to um, paint me as a devil who stole the show from me. Oh. So, and I, after, after Mississippi for a couple of years, I couldn't get work because nobody likes me.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. I, I mean, what 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 was going on in his head? Why why was he being the way he was? I mean, it, it almost sounds self-destructive.
2: He's totally self-destructive. I'm not a I'm not a psychiatrist, yeah. but I will tell you that myself included, I know a lot of people and have met a lot of people through the years that have worked with John, and we all need psychotherapy because of it. <laughs> Hey, kid. You want a toy?
3: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
2: How about a bike? No. A video game?
3: No!
2: Well, okay. You pick a toy.
3: Hmm. I want... Log! Boy, oh boy.
0: Yes, log. All kids love log. Water rolls
3: down a motor in pairs, rolls over your neighbor's dog. What's great for a snack, it fits on your back. It's log, log, log. It's log, log. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's log, log. It's better than that, it's good. Everyone wants a log. You're gonna love it, log. Come on and get your log. Everyone needs a log.
2: Bog from Lamo.
0: you know <laughs> wow yeah. you know it, 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 it's amazing because the the one thing i would say is that uh you were the bright spot uh as far as i was concerned when i stepped on to the project to help oh, out thanks. uh and i spent what i think it was four and a half years of the five years that was in production
2: Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: thank you. That's uh, nice. Yeah, and so, you know, you and Ron, I can't remember his last name, Ron. Ron uh, Hauge? Uh, Ron, The he was a balding guy. Uh, he was oh, one of Ron the show directors. Ron Hugart. Yeah, Jan, Jan, uh, John, uh, Ron Hugart, exactly. He was terrific. I mean, it was, yeah. I, it was really a great crew. There, there was a person oh, nice. in color models that I, I dealt with. Chiel
2: Wang? Uh,
3: he, yeah, yeah. She, you
2: know, Teal Wang is still working at Nickelodeon. She is the longest working person at Nickelodeon in history she's still That's amazing. Around. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. And she, and yeah. He, she's, she's in charge of all the color coming out of the SpongeBob universe.
0: Yeah. I, I always had I always had conversations with her throughout the the shows I was working on because yeah. you know just uh, on on a lot of the effects elements and things like that but you know once we we did all those wedge tests it, it became a pretty straightforward you know calling stuff out and the the retakes dropped by like 98%.
2: Yeah, well, I, I I, wasn't on a mission to stroke my own ego or anything like that. It, and I was absolutely happy and willing to let everybody do their job and leave them the hell alone. Yeah. I, Because I, I already had too much on my plate as it was. Yeah. Uh, and when other directors were getting like full layout crews, when I would do a cartoon, I, I'd do it without a layout crew. So I would sit with uh, Tom Owens, or, or somebody like that, like a really good layout guy, sitting next to me at my desk, and, I, and I'd have a checker go through and blow up all the storyboards and make uh, uh, Xerox layouts and, and put all the camera work in, and then I would go through and, and on my desk, I'd do additional quick drawings, listen to the track, add drawings for the, for the dialogue and the comedy and stuff like that. And as I did them, I'd hand them to Tommy or whoever whoever the guy assisting me was, and he'd clean them up, and put them in a pile and we could do layouts on a show in a day or two mm. on a whole show. like character. Wow.
3: Uh, wow.
2: and it, it saved money and time. And, and, uh, you know, we, we got the show up and running, you know, asked Jim Ballantine, he was there.
0: Well, you know something I, I have to, I have to say though, um, uh, you know, once, uh, once John Kay exited and, uh, it seemed like things just, uh, got very streamlined and the, the shows went off without a hitch, uh, as well, far I, know, as,
2: I mean, compared to the way they were before, sure. There were, there were hitches, there were personality issues, there were problems.
0: Yeah, there uh, always is, but, yeah. but, but still the production started flowing.
2: Sure. Well, and it's because that it wasn't being all driven by one crazy person's ego. Right, right. You know, and and the producers could actually do their job.
0: You know, uh, when you mentioned the George Licker character, I couldn't help think about, and and you'll have to clarify if this was true or not, but but I had understood back in the 90s that um, uh, John Kay tried to pitch a Christmas special called... (laughs) george licker's goddamn christmas special uh and had a pitch with jeffrey katzenberg at disney over it do you you recall
2: any of that that sounds familiar yeah and it and it sounds like something that he could have done yeah i i remember that project and but i i don't remember him showing it to katzenberg but that makes me
0: happy to know it. Well, I, I heard that when he started pitching it, uh, and this is, again, I've heard, I heard this third hand that mm-hmm. he, he pitched it to Katzenberg and the pitch session sort of spiraled into a profanity laced, uh, monologue, uh, and, uh, and that was the end of it. So, yeah uh, you know, yeah. which, which sounds believable as, you know, the little I know of John I I don't know, but you know.
2: Well, that's, uh, that's fun. I, the, I haven't seen John except like passing him on the street since 92. Wow. I, that, I haven't since that last day when he gave me this blessing to, to go off and, and do it, and, uh, suffer his yeah. abuse while I save his cartoons. Wow. Uh, uh, but Uh, he, was I going to say? He, I don't know. What were we talking about just before this? The,
0: the George Licker, uh, special, you know, special because he, he was, he was still developing stuff, uh, after he left, uh, the Ren and Sticky shows.
2: Yeah. He was, he had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, he did a comic book and he did, uh, some music videos and stuff like that. And he was really pushing the George Licker character. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had nothing to do with him and honestly, since then, I haven't seen anything he's done except yeah. I did see the, the comic book he did and I did see the two uh, Simpsons opens he did. Okay. Uh, the, the first one, the couch opened, you know? Yeah. When, when I saw it, I didn't know what I was watching, but I recognized it was in John K. style.
3: Mm.
2: And it was so terrible that I thought it was them making fun of John K. <laughs> I thought it was somebody doing the most abusive, rude, mean uh, caricature of John K. Trying wow. to make him look bad, and then wow. they shoot out on the screen. It's a signature, big signature on there, and I realized, okay, clearly he's lost his mind. And and they uh, did a Halloween one too, which didn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. But you know, I think well, I think I think John is best when he works with other people that that he respects and. Can work with without trying to control them. And somebody is over him making sure he doesn't go crazy.
3: Yeah. But yeah. I
2: don't think that's possible. <laughs> and and now uh because of his me too stuff, and because of you know what he's done to his career, uh he's he's not gonna get any work, he's retired. And now you know, there's there's a couple of times now that they're trying to reboot Ren and Stimpy. And women come out and say, this, is, this isn't cool, this guy isn't cool, he grooms young women, and we don't want him to profit from it. So even though he doesn't have anything to do with anything yeah. an in his anymore and has no rights to say or do anything about it, uh, it's his legacy is keeping the show from being reborn. I'm, I'm sure it will be. Uh, That's too
0: bad because I think Ren and Stimpy uh, uh, they deserve a feature the way Spon- Sponge Bob got a feature. You know, I have
2: I, I have notes for a feature.
0: I think it would be I think it would be so awesome. But you know, uh, uh, just speaking of the TV show, what what do you attribute all the 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 popularity of the show to? Was it just because it was so irreverent?
2: No, because it was funny. Yeah, and and it 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 wasn't trying. To be something other than a bunch of funny guys making funny cartoons. I mean, it was it was you know Termite Terrace again. That's yeah. what we wanted. We wanted to be you know Clampett and Jones and, and make funny cartoons that would survive for a hundred years because they're still funny and they're not all you know uh, jokes based on cell phones or computers or any of that crap. They're, they're yeah. There are funny cartoons that are timeless.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and I have to say they are timeless because you can look at any of those shows today and they all hold up. Uh, yeah. And we're talking what now, 30 years ago?
2: 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, well, that's which why. Is, yeah, which, and that's absolutely, why the, absolutely amazing.
2: Yeah, and that's I why the Three I,
1: Stooges are are still popular today because the comedy, the writing, the animation—it all holds up. Yeah,
2: yeah. The the I think the eleventh the of August is thirtieth anniversary. Wow,
0: um, man! Wow, Come that out. is amazing. Well, it's it's fortuitous that we had you on the show today. You know, we're yeah, we're absolutely. beating we're beating everyone else out by having you on the show to celebrate the thirtieth anniversary of Ren and Stimpy.
2: Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> happy, happy, joy, joy. Damn it! <laughs> yeah,
0: when, when you when you think back to when you were doing the show, what what are some of the really fun stories that you have? You know, I mean, there, there's got to oh, be I, a couple of of really hilarious stories that come a, okay, out. Here, okay, here's
2: here here's another one. Uh, do you do you know of a director named Mike Mitchell? Mm-hmm. Okay, I know the did. name. Yeah, he, he directed Ace Bigelow. Uh, do. Uh, Deuce Bigelow, Male jiggle that film. Uh-huh. That, that, um, well, before that, he was a story artist. And uh, um, he uh, he and Conrad Vernon, who's also a director, directed lots of big features, big shot guy, he and Mike were best pals from college, and they both got hired on to Ren and Stimpy to, uh, to storyboards. So uh, every Friday, this was at Game Studio, which was in, in uh, Beverly Hills, Sunset Boulevard, Smikey Studios. Uh, most of the offices were along the outside of the building and they all had balconies and glass sliding doors and nice views. Um, so every Friday they would bring donuts. So right next to reception, there's always a big double table spread out with all kinds of donuts and we'd all rush in and engorge ourselves with donuts and coffee. Uh, so Jim Gomez and I, we go walking up and we looked down at the table and in the center of the table, there's the, the biggest damn apple fritter I've ever seen it must have weighed 12 pounds you know it was like it was like a huge mud kick just big heavy beautiful dirt clod of apple fritter you know so I looked at it and I thought oh my god we got to do something with like this let's let's throw it out the window so right we were right next to uh, uh, <laughs> Jim Ballantine's office and I'm sure Jim's your friend he'll probably hear this story i don't know if he knows it or not but maybe he'll get a giggle out of it so jim's out of town he wasn't in his office so we went into jim's office slid open the door and we look out and there's no, there's no cars going by there's nothing to throw this giant apple fritter at you know so because we're being responsible 35 year old adults let's throw this <laughs> apple fritter out the window in beverly hills so i look over and at the next balcony over which is 15 feet away is Mike Mitchell steps out onto the balcony and he's got our back to us. And he, and I said, Hey, Jim, Jim's got a great arm. Jim can hit a meteorite with a, with a rock. You know, he's just got this great arm. I said, Hey, can you hit that guy? It's just easy. So <laughs> Mike gestures like this and says something and the fritter hits him in the back of the head and he goes down like a dead man. <laughs> 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 and like, so we scream. Ah, so we run in and we, zoom out of Jim's office and run down to to Jim Gomez's office. And we go in and we lock the door and we hide. So so we come out a little while later and we're like, looking around, nothing's going on. And we look over and the the donut table looks like chimps have been at it. It's like the donuts are all decimated and messed up looking. And we look in Jim Valentine's office and there's donuts everywhere. So Uh. apparently Mike thought, and I'm not sure about this because I don't, didn't see what happened, thought that whoever threw the donut at him was in this office. So here comes donuts. So, <laughs> so years later, um, uh, Jim and I ran into Mike and we confessed to him and he told his side of the story which was funny and heartbreaking. <laughs> so it was this, he and Conrad's first day on the job, they got this really swanky office. It used to be a law office with big sliding doors and windows, really nice, nice office. And they came in with their girlfriends and they're sort of hanging out, having fun. And, and Mike's, they're just so excited. They're working on rent He slides open the door, steps outside. And he said, it doesn't get any better than this. And then the donut hits him and he goes down. <laughs> so uh, I haven't seen Mike in many years, but I'm sure he's still pissed about it
1: that that's so aw- that's so awesome. But
0: so it's
2: funny.
1: You know, uh um, wait wait wait. Uh, no, note to self, never bring donuts to to Bob's uh, signings.
0: Well, you don't bring 12 pound, uh bear claws <laughs> uh, or apple, fruit, or, fruit, apple yeah. fritters, yeah, you know. <laughs> um Bob, uh when why did why did Ren and Stimpy end? Uh was it just that they got 100 episodes or whatever it was and
2: it, it ended because they figured they had enough to, to put it into uh, just reruns, reruns. And we were never easy to work with mm. at, at our best. We were high maintenance, you know, okay. and a lot of our stories were just chock full of innuendo and, and, and whatever we thought we could get away with, mm. you know, uh, I was, I was the person who had to, to talk to Nickelodeon and, and negotiate the jokes, you know, um,
0: was every episode a negotiation? In other words, you can't put this in, you can't put that in?
2: Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but I figured it was not our job to self-edit. It was their job to tell us what we could do. And and I had to negotiate that. What, what we would do, and I didn't start off by doing this. I started off by doing what John did, which was me if they were stupid. You know, <laughs> what are you, stupid? <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, I, we, I figured out that it was a good idea to put red herring jokes in. So we'd come up with jokes that we knew were offensive because they expected, you know, we were like, you know, we, we were under 24 hour surveillance because we were famous for, for pushing the, the edge and and trying to get away with stuff. So, which we did. So somebody had to go through the stuff and find stuff wrong with it. Cause that was her job. This is woman who was, worked for uh, the office at Nickelodeon called Broadcast Standards and Practices. Sure, right. every network has. I called them double standards and practices. So, yeah. Because um, they kept flip-flopping about what we could and couldn't do, you know. Um, but It was a uh, very
0: subjective department.
2: It was, it was. Very and the, the woman who was there, I felt sorry for her kind of, uh, I had heard she had been a nun. So she, her sensibilities were not at all our sensibilities. You know? yeah. We don't, we, there weren't any nuns working on Ren and uh, <laughs> or any devout Catholics or anything like that. Um, but so, you know, we would try, uh, okay. So there's, there's an episode of Ren and called prehistoric Stimpy. Mm-hmm. And it, un, I think it has probably the m- most uh, off color jokes in it, which we, I don't even think it runs anymore. It might be, it might've been cut out of, of whoever runs them. But um, uh, one of the notes we got from her and the scenes that took place in prehistoric times. So we had prehistoric looking backgrounds. And she said, uh, please remove the marijuana trees from the backgrounds." And I'm like, those are ferns, <laughs> the ferns, you know? So um, it, it was, it was kind of a struggle, you know? But yeah. Especially I, I when think,
0: you get in the, when you get in those kinds of notes, it is a struggle.
2: Yeah, yeah, but we did. We got away with a lot, and uh, I, I figure if a kid gets a joke, they're entitled. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but I, I, I think that children's entertain. First of all, I don't like the idea of doing children's entertainment unless that's what you're into. You know. I mean, I've sure. done it. I've, I've worked on. I did layout supervision, not layout supervision, storyboard supervision on Bubble Guppies, which doesn't get. It's
0: a toddler show. Right. It's a toddler yeah. show. Yeah. So
2: you, you do, you do what they want you to do on that. You don't yeah. try to push the envelope. But if you're doing a really edgy show. Like Ren and Stimpy or the yeah.
0: Simpsons or Bob's Burgers or those, those yeah, types but, of shows, which, of which really are, well, they're skewed to adults anyway. I mean, it's sure.
1: adult so. animation.
2: Sure. 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 I think we was skewed to adults. Right. Sure. The,
1: well, the, yeah, the writing was the fun, brilliant. Yeah. Part of the fun is uncovering that stuff.
2: Sure. Well, and, and the other part of the fun is, seeing those shows as a kid and then growing up and watching them again and getting the jokes for the first time. 100%. It's like, it's like we invented Easter egg well, because right. our, our audience wasn't old enough to get the jokes, but the people who did get the jokes dug it. And so yeah. we had a huge audience. Yeah.
0: So, so the Ren and Stimpy show ends and you've gone on to work on a bunch of other shows. What took you back to the East coast?
2: Um, what was I doing? I've, I've been working on Warner Brothers features uh, uh-huh. for a while after that. Did, did a bunch of those. And then um, I got a call from uh, Blue Sky Studios to come work on robots. Oh, yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So I, I moved out to uh, uh, Connecticut.
3: Yeah. And I yeah. started,
2: started working at, in White Plains there in uh, New York at Blue Sky Studios on Blue Sky movies. I did that for years.
0: Oh, Okay. So you were boarding on all of those films?
2: A lot of them, yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, did you did you uh, start teaching at the School of Visual Arts? Or ha- yeah. how's how, what's the connection there? How did that come about?
2: Uh, they, they contacted me and said, would you like to teach? So I went and had lunch with the guy running the department. And he said, we want you to teach animation. I said, I'm not an animator. I'm too lazy to animate. I don't want to <laughs> teach it. I'm not interested. I'm a storyteller, you know, I'm a director. He said, "Okay, teach storyboarding." So, that's what I did. I did it for 8 years. I this last uh, semester was my last semester. Oh, oh
0: really? Why I, I, why why did you leave? Because I am too I'm too busy. You're too just busy. tired of it.
2: No, no, I, well, I am kind of tired of it because it's real hard. I had 40 students every semester. Yeah, Uh, And they're all writing stories. They're all doing storyboards and they are making cartoons. And I had to supervise every step of that process. I had to teach them how to tell a story, teach them how to create character, character dynamics, camera, comedy, all that stuff.
0: Right. Right. And um, uh, you're now living in New Jersey. Is that? Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, My fiance, Michelle, and I live in Wall, New Jersey, which is right by Belmar. Near the
0: shore, so you're you're down on the Jersey Shore. We're on the Jersey Shore, man. That's that's a great place to be. Not far from Tom's River.
2: No, Tom's Rivers. Yeah, it's right south of us. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful area. The whole Jersey coast. Love it, it there.
2: This time of year, we were uh, there's swarms of bannies uh, around this time of year uh, that that the locals don't like. You know what bennies are?
0: No, what are bennies?
2: They're the tourists. you know i gotta tell you
0: yeah every region has their name for you know well i go up to maine every summer i'm going up at the end of august and Mm -hmm. uh and and we're 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 referred to as the away people or the (laughs) or just the summer people the The away people people. the away people are the summer people yeah no seriously
2: both of those sound like horror movie
0: types. Yeah, they so. do. The away people, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, you know, cause it's always like you're from away. That's, uh, yeah. that's how they refer to and it. They, you and know? they
2: want you to go
0: away. Away. Exactly. So. You know, so that, that's fabulous. And so what's, what's, uh, what's next for you, Bob? What, what are you working on? What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to doing?
2: Uh, I'd like to sell a show. We have several show ideas that we'd like to uh, get some network to step up and, and produce. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, I'm working on stuff like that. Uh, like I said, I'm working on uh, SpongeBob Cat Coral right now, uh-huh. uh, which is pretty much taking up my time. Uh, is, that a fe- the, is that a feature? No, it's a, it's a spinoff series. It's okay. about, it's about the SpongeBob characters when Spongebob was 10 years old in summer
0: camp. Okay, gotcha. Fantastic. fantastic. It's, yeah. it's, it's CGI too. It's really nice. F- fantastic.
2: Yeah.
0: And and, uh, and I'm, I'm going to keep my uh, fingers crossed that they're going to do a Ren and Stimpy feature because I'm telling you right now, that would be hilarious, especially if they give it little oversight and just let the creators make it.
2: Yeah, well, good luck with that. hey we can wish can't we bob sure what is it? wish in one fist and something in the other there's a saying about that which i'm i have have,
1: have a couple questions for yeah Um, let's do it just a couple questions so i know that uh you know working as a design lead development artist and all that for for some of the these cartoons that i grew up with that i love so much i have to ask Mm -hmm. about the real ghostbusters for one um now that Uh, the ghostbusters film is 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 going to be rebooted and coming back out with some of the original creators i have to ask about this cartoon because this cartoon is beloved by so many people and i'm sure people when you go to comic cons and you meet the fans um what was the what was the the, the thought when you were designing these characters um, to make them a little different than what we saw in the film?
2: Well, first of all, uh, there was, there were, there were rules about what we could, we couldn't do in design. Like we couldn't draw characters that look like the actors that were in the movie. Uh, and there, there was a style. When I got on the show, the style was already sort of set in stone. Uh, Cause I came on like second, uh, second season. Uh, and I was actually just having too much fun sitting right next to Bruce Tim Ah. and we were designing all the monsters and ghosts and that was it it was just like having fun drawing watching Bruce draw and I'm sure you know who Bruce Tim is Uh, but at that time he was just another another character designer and Mm. we were working on the show together and uh um I used to call him the human sewing machine because watching his his hand draws like just moving so fast. It was a blur, or, you know, chain smoking cigarettes, drawing, you know, just faster and, and more, uh, uh, more groovy than everyone else. And he's also, he's one of those people, I, I do it to a degree, but he's, he's, he can walk in and walk up and look at your work and he absorbs it and he owns it. And it's his, uh, he, he's a, a, he's a style master and a, you know, and amazing designer and cartoonist and just he just walks in and he sees what you're doing and he understands it and he absorbs it and he, he grows he just gets bigger and bigger and better so he's he's one of those uh, amazing artists who can do it all now that's really cool because everybody the fans know that
1: that that series is the spiritual successor of all the films and so it's really cool that you had you had a hand in that and making those uh, yeah. really cool Character, uh, character. So yeah.
2: Oh, I've always had a big connection to the show. I, when the original movie was made, I lived in in Tribeca, okay, which was just a few blocks from the firehouse, and they shot a lot of stuff down at City Hall, which was just a few blocks away, also Mm. from where I lived. So um, I'm walking to City Hall to catch the subway, and there's a huge movie crew, and I step up to the corner, right there on the street that goes in front of City Hall, and there's a guy with a bullhorn, and he's saying stuff to the crew. And I said, "Excuse me, what movie you're making?" And he said, "Ghostbusters." And here they come, and the Ecto One pulls up right in front of me, and the window rolls down, and I look in the window, and there's the Ghostbusters waving at me in the car, <laughs> and, and they and they roll up the window, and they go around, they make a U-turn, and they shoot a scene right in front of me. Oh, that's awesome!
0: So, that, that's and, fantastic! What a great, I, what I a great was, story!
2: I was hooked, you know, and I when they were shooting at the firehouse, uh, I was watching them shoot there and stuff. It's That's amazing. That's great. Well, and the other thing, too, is, uh,
1: you know, working at Marvel during the time you worked at Marvel was uh, there was so much great activity going on um, Mm -hmm. during that time. Uh, And and I've read so many books regarding that time, The Untold Truth About Marvel Comics. I I remember reading that. And of course, your name gets brought up. So the question is, what was it like working with Jim Shooter? Uh,
2: It was he was intimidating because he's so large. And, uh, he, he's, he, he has, a, a real presence about him. Uh, he was the boss mm-hmm. and it was clear and obvious. Uh, I didn't have a lot of direct contact with him, but, um, I didn't, I didn't think he liked you because I just like, wow, this guy's scary. He must not like me. So, uh, but I found out years later since then, that, uh, when Michelle and I were at a comic con, that he actually liked me just fine. And we've, we've become friends again since, That's good. but, uh, He's just—he was just sort of, kind of a big intimidating guy. Plus, when I worked at Marvel, I was in my early twenties and I looked like I was twelve. So I just—I was just this little kid that was hanging there, but I was drawing Marvel you know. Yeah. So um, I just sort of didn't have a lot of direct contact with him, and I just hid in Larry Hama's office a lot.
1: Yeah, I can—I can understand. I mean, it, it there's a lot written about him, and it seems to me like he's a very misunderstood um,
2: person. So. But, Probably uh, He's, he, he and he you know, he was writing Marvel Comics when he was in his in his early teen years, fourteen, fifteen, he was writing Marvel Comics. And you know, he was very young when he started editing Marvel Marvel.
1: Well, I think it's really cool that you were able to insert yourself in, in an issue. I think it was you that inserted yourself in an issue of what if. I think uh, you you ended up uh, writing yourself for someone rich. I uh, had your likeness in there, and it's like I looked you up in the Marvel Wiki, and not only does all your works come up, but then also there's your likeness. You're, you're in there, and I guess yeah, – uh,
2: I drew that. Yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> like my hands up and there's a booger on my finger. Yeah, or exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, that, I was yeah. like, oh, that's cool. Cause of course, you know, uh, it's very timely. What What if was one of my favorite series uh, growing up as a kid, just, just reading those you, what if books. And uh,
2: did you see, did you see the, the, it was in marble age. It was a cutoff, like they cut off the top of marble yes. and you could see down the office, everybody working there. That's right. I, 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 in, in the eighties, I drew that. Oh that's cool. Yeah, if you look it up it's in there. You but you can see everybody that works there walking around like with giant heads and cartoon characters. Yeah, I love that. Yeah,
1: I love that because we always felt a big connection as readers to the bullpen, the artists and the the editorial staff and all that. So it was really cool to see. It was
2: it was a fun time to be there and I was pretty lucky to be there.
1: That's awesome. Well, thanks for answering that. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah,
3: sure, yeah. sure.
0: Well, Bob, I, I have to say, I really appreciate you coming on our show and giving us a little insight into the behind the scenes of uh, some of the early shows you worked on, as well as the Ren and Stimpy show. And and I have to tell you, I had a great time working on Ren and Stimpy when I came oh, on great. the show. And I, I think I came in at the very tail end of the insanity. Uh, and I was only there for the four and a half seasons of craziness. Yeah, you know, which which well, was, was fun. It was fun craziness.
2: Well, it was a good time for somebody who does what you do, and I think for the people in the art department because what we really were striving for uh, at games was to make every cartoon better than the last one we did, and to make every every drawing funnier, every background background more beautiful. And we, and, you know, we had Scott Wills and Bill Ray uh, mm-hmm. doing great backgrounds. So our whole our whole background crew was terrific.
0: You know, uh, one one of my favorite uh, shows was uh Stimpy's Little Friend. That 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 was the one oh, I created the whole snowstorm and blizzard the, for. That
2: was it was Stimpy's Stimpy Son of Stimpy. Son of Stimpy, excuse me. And it was originally called Stimpy's first
0: fart. Yes, right. We didn't say fart. So Son of Stimpy
1: Son of Stimpy.
0: Yeah. Which
2: I think is weirder and funnier.
1: It is. Know? It is. It's so strange. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it's a, lot a of, great episode. It is. Great. It's.
2: I think. I think it's John's best episode, and I think that it's a it's a Christmas classic.
0: Yeah. It really is. It really yeah. is. Well, listen, thank you so much for ha- uh, for coming on the show. And we look forward to actually having you back at some point in the future. Sure. Um, uh, you, you've had such an amazing career so far, and it's not over. You're still going strong, and you've got a yep. lot lot more to uh, share with the public. Uh, and I hope some of the shows you're developing get picked up.
2: All right, cool. And and uh, when we get a minute, I'd like to check, check in on you and see what you're up to.
0: Absolutely. I will absolutely uh, drop you a note and let you know. All right.
2: That's
1: great. Well, uh, Alice, great to meet you. It's nice to meet you, Bob. Hey, by the way, nice is there other than uh, some of your appearances you might have coming up? I, I'm, do you have anything else you, you want to promote, like uh, upcoming appearances or like social media where people can follow you?
2: Uh you know, we're, we have uh, Bob Lab Studios, which is, is uh, our, our little studio here. And we are we have a Facebook page. You can check us out awesome. there. What,
0: what's, it, what's it
2: called again? Bob Lab, B-O-B-L-A-B. Okay, Bob Lab. Bob Lab. It's just fun to say. Bob Lab, Bob Lab. Makes you sound okay. like an idiot. When you say it. <laughs> I asked a lot.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, Bob. Okay, we'll put that in our show notes. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. I will send you a note when the show drops and send you a link and all that. Ruby. Thanks guys. Thanks, man. Take,
2: take care. You. Bye-bye.
3: I'm talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's magic kingdom. Skull Rock podcast.
1: All aboard your main street to the world of Disney. I tell you, Dave, every time you bring your friends on, it's always a good time. And uh, does Bob live up to his name? Bob camp. Was he campy? Was he fun?
0: Oh man, he's he's terrific, you know. He's a <laughs> wild man. Uh, and it, it was great it was great talking with him and I, I just love hearing all those stories. I mean,
1: it's just so fantastic. Absolutely. Well, speaking of fantastic, I I have to say if you love the show, be sure you tell your friends. Share the love of the show. Follow us on social uh, Facebook Twitter Instagram Dave and myself are also on LinkedIn drop us a note it's always nice to get notes and emails from the listeners to say hey not only do I love the show I'm gonna give it five stars on every platform imaginable <laughs> so you can do that and uh, once again send us those emails we love to get emails uh, Dave at skullrockpodcastcom or al John at skullrockpodcast.com Dave we've got a bunch of upcoming guests Um i I can't tell you we do
0: and and i have to tell you uh i hope people will tune in next week because we have roger allers who's a co-director of the lion king coming on and he's going to be talking about kingdom of the sun development that was the precursor to emperor's new groove Mm -hmm. so we're going to be having a conversation about that and then the week after we've got alan coates imagineer alan coates who is the son of disney legend claude coates And Disney legend himself, Tony Baxter, are both going to be on the show. What? Yeah. I mean, we have so many great guests coming up. I'm not going to tip my hand on all of them, but there's a couple for you.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So not only you are literally, because you're subscribed to this show, which I hope you are, you're going to get the behind the scenes that you've wanted uh, from some great folks. So uh, be on the lookout for those in the, the weeks to come. Anyway, Dave, uh, it's been a great show, and I'll leave you with the final word.
0: Well, as always, Al John, peace and love to everybody out there. Uh, It's the beginning of a new week. Go out, be kind to one another, uh, stay cool, get your vaccination if you haven't done it, and uh, be safe. Wear a mask when you're out in public. Let's stamp out this Delta variant, and we will see you the next time
1: here on the Skull Rock Podcast.
3: well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money
1: where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney
3: they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com i'm Kristen hetzel vacation planner world traveler disney foodie and theme park fan
1: I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast.
3: Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more.
1: That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sourcer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook. The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.